Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. May God's name be blessed by the public reading of his word. Amen. As Didi already mentioned, I'm a student of history, and I want to share a story with you, some of my recent discoveries. Imagine a rainy evening, 1960. A plane had just landed on the International Airport in New York, and people are coming down. It's in those days in which they had to come down a staircase. And a lady is the last person to come down from this plane. She is in her late 70s. Very fragile. Dressed like a Russian peasant from the villages. And she can't even make it down the staircase. The person waiting for her has been allowed to stand at the tarmac where where the planes land. So this man, her son goes up to help her to come down. And the first word she says, it's his mother, she says, God can be trusted, son. Now I came upon that story. The name of the lady, we can see the picture now, the the name of the lady is Ekaterina, and maybe some of you have heard her surname, Voronaeva. This is a, a very interesting family They were a minister and his wife. They had five children. Can we see the picture, please? They had five children at that time in the 1920s, and they felt a very strong call from God to go back to their country, Russia, and to spread the gospel there. Of course, in those days, Russia had just become a very interesting new country called SSSR, the Soviet Union of Countries. Only two years earlier, the Russian Revolution had taken place. So how do I come across this story? Well, they don't even get a visa to visit Russia. They have to come to Bulgaria for a while, but they do start a few churches there. Eventually, the whole family ends up in Odessa in 1921. And they start there under the relatively short, they don't know that, but relatively short freedom. Quite a few churches, actually a whole movement of evangelical churches started in Russia. But only a few years later, in 1930, on the 7th of January, the KGB secret police comes and arrests Ivan, her husband. He's sentenced to eight years in a camp, hard labor camp, accused of being a Western spy. This was an accusation we kept hearing during the communist time, even in Bulgaria, for many years. And at the end of these eight years, which almost actually killed the man, the heavy labor and the tortures, daily tortures. One morning they asked him to walk in a certain direction and they shot him in the back, insinuating that he was trying to escape the camp. But going back a bit, only three years after he was arrested, they came for his wife. She, she happened to be very sick that day with three of her children still with her, little children. They took the four of them, brought them to Kharkov, which was the central part of, uh, of U- today's Ukraine, 
And then they separated the mother from the children and she went through a hell for the next few weeks. I can't even, I don't even want to describe to you what they did to her. And then she was sent, sentenced to 20, actually life in, in a camp, but she spent the next 25 years in a labor camp because of their religious convictions. Praise the Lord, the children were somehow smuggled back to the U.S. by relatives. And in 1959, a letter comes from Russia. How did that letter get to America? No one knows. And the letter was delivered to Pavel, who was the son, the oldest son of those five. And the letter stated, I'm your mother, I'm 73 now. I've just been released from camp. God can be trusted. My last prayer is to see you people. If he allows me to before I die. Now, Pavel is in the U.S. He doesn't know what to do. He prays and he hears the oldest one. He shares with the other children. They don't know what to do. And then guess what? A year later, he hears that the president of the Soviet Union is coming actually to the U.S. He's coming to Washington. So, Pavel decides, I would go and meet with Nikita Khrushchev. So he gets on a train and arrives in Washington at the same day. Khrushchev is actually in the Russian embassy in, in Washington. So Pavel just walks through the crowds of people, goes to the embassy, lots of security people. No one stops him. No one believes anyone could do something stupid like that to go into the embassy. So he walks through the open doors, straight up the staircase into the, into the ballroom where there is a reception for Khrushchev. And he walks, he recognizes the figure. He walks to the man and says, in Russian, Will you please release my mother so I can see her before she dies? Now, Khrushchev is totally shocked. I mean, the security didn't see this person, so he doesn't say a word. He just turns around, and the security jumps. You know, so he, this, this guy, Pavel, he's thrown out of the building onto the street, and then the media picks up this story, because they want to know what happened. Why is he thrown out of the embassy? Everyone is watching what's going on there. So they pick up this story, and then it's in the news, and churches pray about it, and uh, the vice president of the U.S. at that time is also writing um, to uh, certain people, and at the end, Eisenhower writes an official note to Khrushchev a year later, please release this lady, because this is really making problems between Russia and the U.S. And she ends up in 1960 back with her family, and the first word she says, God can be trusted. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. Allow, me, allow us to ask you just a personal question and don't answer to other people, just inside your heart. Is there anything that you find difficult to trust God with? Anything in your life which you don't have control over? Anything that's a heartache? Anything that is deep there, maybe nobody knows about it, but you find difficult to trust God with it. I'll come back to that later. But trust is something very fragile, something very difficult. Trust is very easily broken, and it's very difficult when you lose it to gain it back again. And maybe all of you have been disappointed trusting people. I have been disappointed, but there's somebody who has never disappointed me, and this is God himself. Um, he has not always done what I wanted, I have to say. He has not, though, not always done what, exactly how I wanted and when I wanted it. 
But I can remember my teen years, the time that I gave my life to God. Can you remember your time when you came close to the God of trust and you put your trust in him? And has he ever disappointed you since then? But why, the big question for me is why can he be trusted? Why can the God of God, God of trust be trusted? I guess we want to encourage you today with kind of three main statements, if you want. And here's the first one. Trusting God's character. I'm so happy that I haven't been called to be one of the Old Testament prophets because very often they had to prophesy not good news for the future for the people. One of these prophets was Jeremiah, of course, who was prophesying that help will not come. Jeremiah finds himself in, in a prison at some point in his ministry, not only once, but several times, and at a time of siege. And everyone wants him to have good news to tell them. And yet all he sees in the future, and this is the vision God gives him, is actually not freedom. So he prays, and God answers his prayer with the following verses, following uh, words. Let me see if this, this is not working. Can you just fast forward a bit? Jeremiah 32, this is toward the end of his book. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? These are words given to Jeremiah. At the same time, he has to prophesy bad future for a while. So God is, is telling his people, trust in the character. I'm not going to change. I'm the same. Even at the times when you really have to go through trials. Now imagine you're at the end of your life. And uh, you know it. What legacy are you going to give, leave the people with? If we turn the pages of the Bible a little bit backwards and go to the book of Deuteronomy, we find Moses exactly at, this, at the end of his life. He knows it's the, it is the end of his life. And God calls him. He knows he's not going to go any further into the promised land. He has led the people of Israel for 40 years through the desert, through all sorts of difficulties, but he knows that this is the end. And it's amazing what he leaves the people of Israel with. He leaves them with something which says, trust in the Lord, trust in the rock, because he is the rock and he can be trusted. Let me just... Uh, read a little bit of Deuteronomy 31, the beginning of chapter 31, and then the beginning of chapter 32. Then Moses went out and spoke those words to all Israel. I'm now, he said, 120 years old, and I'm no longer able to lead you. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross Jordan. And then that famous song, that those words that God gives to Moses, which actually stay inside together with the law for the Israelites to remember. And they still have them at the time of Jeremiah. And those words say, listen, you heavens. All the people are gathered together and Moses addresses the people of Israel. And he says, I will speak here, you earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching fall like rain, my words descend like dew, like showers on new grass, like abundant rain on tender plants. I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. 
a faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is He. He is the rock. We live in, a, in a, an area which is an earthquake area. I don't know if Albania is, but Bulgaria is. So sometimes the earth beneath you is shaking, but rocks can be very stable. So if you are on a rock, on something stable, what does it mean for God to be the rock? What does it mean for God's character to be a rock? Stable, unchanging, steadfast, strong, no power like his power. No power of promise like his power of promise. And um, if we just look in the mirror, we see how things change. We all change. Everything changes. But God's character does not change. And this is something we can totally put our trust in. And his promises do not change. The power of his promises. And this is the promise that we read in the next we haven't been monitoring how you have gone through Jeremiah as studying that you've been doing in this church, but uh, the two verses we read in the beginning of this time actually follow two other verses. And if you take the four together, there is a comparison there between the one who has no trust in the Lord, who will be like a bush in the, in the wilderness, and the one that trusts the Lord and his promises and his character, and he'll be like a tree planted by the water, that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. This is another translation of the same, the same text. So do never um, doubt the character of God. He never changes, despite of the fact that we may find ourselves under different circumstances. Which brings us to the second kind of thing we wanted to share with you today. Trusting God's intentions. This is sometimes very difficult to actually understand. Why is God allowing things to happen? Believe it or not, every time we speak to someone in Bulgaria, most of them pretend to be at least Christians. Some of them are nominal Christians. Some of them are prophesying Christians. But very often we hear more or less the same question. Well, if there is God, why did he allow that to happen? Why did my mother die? Why am I having cancer? Why am I struggling through that? Why is Bulgaria poor? Why, 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 why? If there is God there, what are his intentions? The people are asking. Maybe he's not there. That's why things happen in this way. Let me tell you a story from the project which on the surface looks like a very trivial thing, but yet to us has been a great example of God's intentions that we cannot understand now, but never change. And they are for, for good and for blessing and for making us grow, even under heavy circumstances. Once upon a time, we had a neighbor next to the building, the big project building, who really hated us. And I don't know why they like this phrase, but he also said, this building would only be built over my dead body. That was his statement. So he would go several times a week to the local council to complain about us. Several times a week he would go there and say, this is not legal and this can't be fair and this is probably wrong. So these people would come and check and check and check. And at some point this was probably the most monitored building project in the entire capital of Sofia. To the point of the local council people not even coming anymore, they just would give us a call and say, well, there is another complaint, we don't bother to come, we don't worry, you know, we'll sign the papers from, on, on your behalf. So that was good, that was the, the good bit. However, at one of those visits, an official who really wanted some money digged very deeply and he found a discrepancy between two of the plans. 
The architects, you know how architects are, that he's drawn a fantastic building, and then the engineer comes and says, you cannot really build this building in this way, so he moved a particular column from where it was to a different position. And actually, this is the, the original uh, imprint from, from that position of a column. It was actually moved from GR6 to there, K28. Now, it's a very small change, but this official noticed that it's a huge project to notice a column like that, one of the, I don't know, 120 columns we have, that is quite a job. So we were really, really unhappy with that because he actually stopped the entire building work, at least for that section, for a few months. Uh, he suggested that we give him a bribe, which we refused to do, and he said, okay, that's it, until this is sorted out. And it wasn't our fault, it was, a, it was a discrepancy between the two plans. The architect had written one thing and the engineer had done another thing and they never combined them properly together. So we were not happy, we were questioning, to in, a, in a sense, why God didn't deliver us from that? Why, why didn't he um, intervene in this situation so that this official doesn't see this discrepancy? However, after six months of waiting and another six months of drawings being resubmitted to the council, long story, at the end we got permission to build the building in this way, so everything was finalized. By the way, by the end of this project, the man who was our neighbor was not there anymore, so I don't know, maybe he, he had his own prediction about his dead body. He died from a cancer. Very short period, about a month he was gone. And we really tried to connect with this person again, but he just wasn't available anymore. Long story short though, day of uh, the final approval of the building came, a committee of 16 people came to inspect the building, and as we were going around, walking around the building, one of them obviously had done his homework, stood at a certain point, right in the middle of a, of a big hole, and asked me, Mr. Opernov, what am I doing here? And I said, I don't know, sir. I have no idea what you're doing there. Tell me. He said, well, there should be a column here. And it's there. Do you have permission to move the column there? Because it's supposed to be here. He knew very well where this, this piece of concrete had to be. And praise the Lord, I could say, oh, wait a second. Let me just get the right papers out. So I was able to present the papers with which this change was actually approved six years earlier. Now think about it. This could have been a big problem with a finished building trying to approve a column that is... Think about this country as well. Almost impossible. This could have put us back 10 years behind schedule and everything else. And yet God had good intentions to make us suffer at some point so that in the future, at the, when the time... It's, I know it's a building thing. Some of you would say, well, what's the spirit? where is the Holy Spirit in this? I can see the Holy Spirit in moving a column and getting an official to notice that six years earlier. Never doubt God's intentions. Never doubt His character. They don't change. They're always for good and they're blessings to us. They will be like a tree planted by the water. Um, now that it's been so hot in England and we've exchanged summers, so your summers there, our summers here. I think you... <laughs> you, you <laughs> but we're here, so that's the good news. <laughs> but uh, it, we realize, I think you... How important water is. Water is vital. So to have Jeremiah in times of trouble and difficulty, in times of siege, prophesy and tell the people that God's intentions for us are to be like a tree planted by the water, which will never be in need of water. I think it's amazing. Even in the hardest, most difficult circumstances, our trust is not in the circumstance. Our trust is in that rock by which there's plenty of water.
And uh, let me tell you, the, the most difficult part for us with building the center has been going halfway through. You've done so much, and then there's so much more. And I have kind of called it being in the waiting room of God. <laughs> and maybe sometimes you feel that way, that uh, something happens and you've done so much, but then there's so much more that is happening. And you think, God, when, how? I know your intentions are good, but how exactly? And when exactly is this going to happen? Um, Another example which really sustained me through the years of difficulty was going back to Moses again and a picture he gives in the same chapter 32. You may want to read that when you go home. Of uh, comparing God to an eagle mother. I don't know if you've seen, maybe you haven't and I haven't because it's, they built those nests so far up there. Eagle's nest is more than two meters wide in diameter much wider than what I can spread my hands. <laughs> Two, three meters. And they build them for months. And they're so careful in building the nest. And they put all these grass and, and feathers and uh, sticks and, and everything to make that very comfortable for the baby eagles when they come. And then they have to teach those baby eagles to become big eagles flying by themselves and looking after themselves. So what they do is amazing. They start bringing the food to the eagles in the nest, and then, after a while, when the eagles become, the baby eagles become stronger, maybe you have a word for baby eagles, and then they start destroying the nest. The mum eagle starts destroying the nest, mm. but destroys it from the middle, so that the babies go to the end of the nest. And in a while, they stop dropping the food to the babies inside the nest, they start circling outside. So eventually, hunger prevails, and the baby eagle has to fly out, but they don't know how to fly. So they start dropping down, and then they're picked up, and put up again, and then again, and again, until they're strong to fly out, and be big eagles who look after themselves. God does that for you and for me. And I think through those processes, we learn to know him more, we learn to trust him more. And at the end of what we'd like to say, I'd like to ask another question. Do you think that God has a heartache? I asked you in the beginning, do you have a heartache? And yeah, we do. Sometimes we're in, in, in stages of big joy in our lives. Other times we're in periods of difficulties. But God has a heartache. And this heartache is for you and for me. And this heartache is for his intentions to be in our lives. And for God's heartache is for us to know his character, to come close to him, to be rooted in those waters, close to this rock, rooted in the water of life, and enjoying and knowing what it means to be like a tree planted by the waters. It has been quite difficult for us to learn a lesson. And the lesson has been that God actually foresees the future much better than us. And very often, we struggle to catch up with Him. People are asking us, how, how did you do this? And how did you achieve that? And how did the church go through that? And I'm telling you, we've been struggling 
catching up with God. He's been miles ahead of us. They years ahead of us. Maybe the last example when we wrap up everything we wanted to say this morning is about the refugees that we're working with. We didn't show you any pictures, but there's quite a ministry in Bulgaria now. By definition, the refugees try to avoid Bulgaria. Bulgaria doesn't treat them well at all. We treat them very badly there. We've complained about it as Christians, but no one listens to us. They think this is the best way to protect the country. So Bulgaria has a bad reputation among the refugees. So they try to go around, go through Macedonia, Serbia, all the way Western Europe. Some of them, though, end up in Bulgaria, as many as a few thousand every year. So we've developed a very good ministry to them. There is even a refugee church now. We've baptized maybe close to 200 in the last four years. Just people that accepted Christ during their passage through Bulgaria. But not much of this would have been possible unless God actually had heart for these people well before even we even knew there was going to be a refugee crisis. I want to tell you this story before we finish. story of this man. His name is Ali. His full name is Ali Dini. He is very well known in Iran by the name Ali the Immortal. Because there were so many attempts on his life and they never could kill him. He was... Invincible, So they call him Ali the Immortal. Now, Ali the Immortal lived for many years in, in Tehran, in Iran, and he was a troublemaker, a big way troublemaker. He used to organize uh, bandits there, traffic of women, uh, drugs, you name it. It was all there, killing people as well. He organized a few assassinations of people, and finally they realized who was behind all of this, so he got a death sentence in Iran. So he could not stay in the country anymore. He started running and he ended up in Sofia, being a country, Bulgaria being a country that no one, no one connects directly with terrorism. So he was able to hide in Sofia, in the big capital. But, but being who he was, and we're talking 20 years ago, not last year, 20 years ago. Being who he was, soon he became one of the leaders of the underground crime in Sofia. Again, doing the same stuff, supplying drugs, women, um, organizing illegal trafficking of anything from people to goods. And again, got involved in, in, in killing people around. So he killed two people. By that time, he had lost one of, he had lost one of his legs uh, running away from the police. Eventually, they caught him. So he got something to the extent of 25 years or a life sentence in prison in Bulgaria. And he spent the next 14 years of his life in prison in Bulgaria. He learned pretty good Bulgarian. He speaks good Bulgarian today. And he found that prison was a good place to continue what he was doing, selling drugs mainly among the prisoners. Not only that, he found that the best place and time to do that was chapel on Sunday. Because they had a prison's ministry and prisoners who would go to the chapel, they were allowed to have this one hour. So they would go there, no, no one of the guards would go into the chapel, so that was the best place to actually distribute the drugs. But guess what, you have to be sitting there <laughs> and listening as well. So God's word penetrated through his mind and then his soul. And he was deeply, deeply converted. He had a very deep time of, 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 of confession to himself and repentance, and his life was changed. He didn't only do that, he actually shared with the whole group and he stopped dealing drugs. They almost, they almost killed him there. Mm-hmm. But he lived up to his reputation, he's immortal, so <laughs> they didn't finally. Uh, but he, he started reading the Bible, not only that, he started studying the Bible, and then eventually he became a helper to the chaplains there, to the point of becoming one of the evangelists there. He's not a very good preacher, but he's a great evangelist. And his testimony is quite strong, as you could imagine. Even to the point of the chaplain then requesting from the authorities to review his case. And this has never happened in the history of the Bulgarian judicial system. They let him go on good behavior after 14 years. 
Now he can't go back to Iran, he'll be killed there on the spot, so he remained in Bulgaria, exactly being freed at the time when the big wave of refugees came. Now this person goes to the camps near the border twice a week, which is quite a distance, 300 kilometers on our roads is a long journey. He picks up some of these people there, he speaks Farsi and several other languages, and he's helped us organize this, this, this church now, a refugee church on the Sunday afternoon, which which is a fantastic opportunity to, to tell these people about Christ. So that's a story of God's character of love for everyone. And in this case, we, we, we mean Iranians, Iraqis, uh, Egyptians, Syrians. Used to be mainly families with little children going through Bulgaria. Still this kind of people. But God's, God's intentions to point to a criminal immortal criminal, to tell him, I want you for my ministry in a different country. And someone whose heart has never changed for any lost soul. Let me tell you a personal thing. There is nothing like watching the eyes of people who hear about Christ for the first time in their life. Those are difficult to find in this country. Many people have heard about Christ from Sunday school, going to church or not going to church. The name of Christ is known here. You can't surprise someone by saying, have you heard of Christ? Yes, I have. You know, no problem. But these people have never heard of, of Jesus Christ. And, and to, to read the stories from the New Testament, to read some of the miracles that, that Jesus performed about, to, to read his words and see the reaction of the hearts of these people through their eyes, it's priceless. Not, not to mention the shock that I have to be translated in my own church. Let's just read um, <clears throat> a verse that we'd like to leave you with. Uh, Psalm 37. It says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. May God bless you. Let's pray, shall we? Dear Heavenly Father, it is not tradition that has brought us here, although we do go to church on a Sunday. It is not even the love that we feel for each other that has brought us here, although we do love each other. It is not even the concern for the mission and the ministry that has brought us here together, although we do have a concern for the mission and the ministry everywhere. But it is the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. This is an overwhelming understanding for our hearts that has not only warmed them, but has brought us to a personal knowledge of you, personal friendship, personal connection with you as a Savior. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that in Christ we could be brothers and sisters and friends and and supporters and missionaries together. But above all, we thank you for who you are. That your character of love never changed. Even when we were sinners, you did send your son to die for us. That your intentions never changed. That even when we were far away from you, you seeked after us. And you found us. And that your heart of love and acceptance is widened to all of the ends of the world. To all nations and all people. Father, please help us to radiate even a small amount of that richness of you. So that when people see us, they can see your character. 
When people observe the way we live, they can see your intentions. And when people look at everything we do together, they can see the unity of love that only your presence and your heart can give. We thank you wholeheartedly for this friendship and fellowship we find always in this church. And we ask you to bless it richly. In their outreach, in the people that come here on a daily basis during the week. Everyone that has contact with anyone of this church anywhere around the world indeed. To feel your presence. And we ask you in the times of troubles, in the times of difficulties that we all go through. Personal or family health related or business related or relationship related please Father bless us allow us to never lose sight of who you are and your character and your intentions and your heart and we ask that humbly in the name of Jesus Christ your Son and our Savior and we all say Amen